welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 249 an interview with a new turkey hunter with Judy Camuso. And I am your host and the guy who wore the fish out this past Sunday morning. I'll tell you a little bit more about it in just a second, but right now we are 226 days, 10 hours, 4 minutes, and 41 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. I know when I sit here and I look at the math, that's seven and a half months away. But I probably, like most of you, tend to look at a year not as a year, but in seasons. So we just have a few seasons to go before turkey season starts in Alabama. We have football season about to start, then deer season will start, Then the holiday season comes in, and then deer season wraps up, and then football season wraps up about the same time, and then we get into turkey preseason. So really, I don't look at it like we're seven and a half months away, because in my mind, we are football season, deer season, holiday season, deer season, and then we are staring turkey season in the face. It's right around the corner, and I couldn't be more excited about it. So this past Sunday morning, I took my dad fishing, and this is pretty pitiful, I think, but I believe it's the first time in two years that he and I have fished together. Well, other than our big fishing trip last fall to Guatemala, but we went bass fishing down at my property south of Birmingham, and I brought home and cleaned 24 bass, and we threw back probably six bass that were too big that were over our 17-inch keeper limit. So those got to go back and swim around some more, eat some more fish, and hopefully get a little bit bigger so I can catch them next year. I can tell you, I think I broke my line three or four times setting the hook on fish, and we probably, I'd say all totaled between the two of us, had another six or eight fish get off the line before we could get them to the boat. So we had a pretty darn good four to five hours worth of fishing. And I can't think of anybody else that I would have rather spent that time with. It was a great morning all the way around. Now listen up. I have an awesome interview for you guys today with Judy Camuso, 
who is the commissioner of the Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife in the state of Maine. And Judy's got a very interesting story. Normally, I would intro the guest a little bit, but we're talking about her pretty much the entire interview. So you're going to learn a little bit more about Judy. Actually, you're going to learn a lot more about Judy coming up. She has a very interesting story, and I think it's something that we really all can learn from. And if you listened to last week's episode, think back and reflect on some of the talking points that the four or five presenters of the seminar, The Future of Hunting, gave us at the NWTF convention. And think about those while you're listening to Judy in this interview, because I think there's some great opportunities for us to learn a few tips and a few hints from this conversation with Judy that might help us bring in another hunter or two into the ranks. So listen in close and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey everybody, I am glad to tell you that I have on the line with me today, Judy Camuso, who is the commissioner of the IFW in Maine, and that is the Inland Fisheries and Wildlife. And I wanted to get Judy on today to chat with her because she's got a very interesting story. And I want to dig in a little bit deeper with Judy about her story because I feel like there's probably some opportunities for us hunters to learn a little bit about some ways that maybe we can recruit some other people into the sport of hunting. And so, Judy, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on with us today. How are you and where exactly in the great state of Maine are you? Great. Thank you, Andy. I am very well, and I am in Augusta, Maine today. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Judy, will you tell us a little bit about your background, both personally and professionally, and tell us exactly what you do now? I told everybody you're the commissioner of the IFW, but give us a little bit more insight as to what all that entails. Sure. So, I'm a wildlife biologist, and I... I uh, started my career at Maine Audubon, which is a nonprofit here in Maine focused mostly on birds. And so that is sort of my background on game birds. And uh, I worked for Audubon for about 11 years, and an opportunity with the state opened up to do uh, as a wildlife biologist in one of the regional offices. And it's probably the only job I would have considered leaving Audubon for, but I applied for it and got it, much to my surprise. And I started working for the state as a biologist, and I kind of moved up through the ranks. I worked in the regional office for like seven years, and then I came to our Augusta office, and, and it kind of like catapulted to wildlife director within like eight months' time. So I went from being kind of the lowest person in the hierarchy to like kind of the top in the wildlife division within within a year's time. So that was a bit of a transition for me. And then shortly after I became director, my state was faced with a referendum on our bear hunting methods. And as director, I was the spokesperson for the agency on that. And we we did prevail in that referendum. But that certainly gave me a lot of experience just in kind of how we communicate with the public, how we talk to the public, what the public knows about their state agency, what they think about us, and gave me some really strong visions for what I kind of wanted to do as director and where I wanted to take the wildlife division. And then once I started getting settled into my position as 
as wildlife director pretty, it was only, I guess it was like five years, but probably only three and a half years after the referendum kind of finished up, I was just appointed uh, commissioner. So I am now the first woman ever to be commissioner of Maine Fish and Wildlife. And um, I've been in this position since January, so about six months now, so eight months, I guess. And as commissioner, I oversee like all the rules and regulations for the agency. I have about 325 staff, a $52 million budget, so I oversee all that stuff. But I think my real job is to try and find a, a vision for the agency and to kind of move the ship in the direction toward the future and to try and inspire people to move with me. Yeah. So just a random question. How involved yeah. is the IFW in setting bag limits and season dates? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we set all that stuff. So we okay. set the bag limits, the season dates. So either we do it through rule or we would ask our legislative committee to do it. So the legislature doesn't always give us everything we want, but that's we would be the agency that would, would make those requests. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, I know that most states, it actually is the state legislature that actually puts the majority of that into into law or into yep. rule. So yep. I figured yep. it would be the same way with you guys. Yeah, yeah, it is. Good. Well, I want to get a little turkey hunting story from you. As you well know, this is a turkey hunting podcast, and I love turkey hunting stories. And you actually have a very good one from this past season that I I read about on the Internet. But I want to hear it from your mouth and hear your perspective of it, because this was your, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was your first season to turkey hunt ever? Yeah. Yep. Okay. It was, yeah. And yeah. now, being a wildlife biologist, you mm-hmm. are or have been exposed to hunting, but you oh, haven't yeah. really hunted until recently either. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. all right. So yeah, I didn't grow up in a hunting family and grew up outside of Boston in, in, in a very urban area. And it was one of my biggest sort of things that I would kind of complain about when I became director is like, I'm the director of wildlife and it's... And it's not easy for me to get into hunting. So, and I have access to all these people that I know would help me if I asked. And so for those people that didn't grow up in a hunting family but aren't the director of wildlife, how do we get them involved? Because it's a big obstacle to go from being a non-hunter to, you know, using a, a, a firearm and killing an animal. So there's a big there's a big leap there. And so... I was perpetually sort of frustrated with how difficult it was for someone like me who I work with, you know, 45 other biologists and 125 game wardens. It's difficult for me to get involved. So how's the rest of the world do it? And so, but in this also, everybody, you know, has time restrictions and, you know, hunting isn't something that's like, uh, it's, it's not like you just, you don't, you know, like in the morning I go for a run every day, right? So, but that's like a 45 to an hour minute commitment. Like it's, it's not a 45 minute commitment when you're going to go out hunting, you know, exactly. it's usually, it's a, it's a significant amount of time that you have to invest. And in. so breaking down some of those barriers were kind of one of my goals or I wanted to figure out how to do it and... So when I became commissioner, I realized pretty quickly. So as wildlife director, I still spend a good deal of time in the field or at least spend some time in the field. But I realized as commissioner, I wasn't really going to have that opportunity as much. And so I 
needed to make space, more space in my personal life to be outside and do the things that I, you know, kind of restore me, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I, for some health reasons, I, I was vegetarian for like 15, 18 years. And for health reasons, I had to switch my diet up and the doctors were pretty clear that they wanted me to get more animal protein or more protein directly from, you know, beef or other animals. And so I was really interested in getting that food myself and not not supporting kind of factory farms and just going to the grocery store and getting getting a package of meat. And so I, I'd been deer hunting a few times, but never successfully. And I think I, I probably talked too much <laughs> for us to be a good deer hunter. <laughs> so but my, it's great for a podcast interview. <laughs> usually I'm with someone and I'm that, I, I can, I can, I can. But so I, you know, I wanted to try um, turkey hunting. And I met with a group, group of women this spring and to try and women that all participate in hunting or fishing or outdoor activities and wanted to talk. We talked about what are the barriers to participation and why don't we have more women participating in these activities. And as a result of that, one of the women invited me to go turkey hunting, one of the women I was meeting with. So I, I said, sure, I'd, I'd love to do that. And But word quickly spread that the commissioner was going to go turkey hunting with uh, somebody that was not a staff person, <laughs> and they didn't like that. <laughs> so all the staff were figuring out, we got to get her out, we got to get her out someplace, you know, we let's take her, we could go here, and they found all these other places. They wanted, everybody kind of wanted to, you know, make sure that I had a positive experience. I mean, it, it was very, I was very lucky and fortunate. But one of the women that I work with, Liz, also offered to come out hunting with me. And so the, the first woman, Christy, and I went out hunting, turkey hunting, and had an awesome day. I mean, I just loved it. It was a beautiful morning, and we sat in, in a blind for a while, and then we did a little spot and stalking and calling, and we saw some turkeys, and we heard turkeys, but never close enough that you, you could actually, you know, get nowhere near close enough to, to shoot at them. Right. Um, but it was a wonderful morning, and I still loved it. And there was tons of birds. We saw all kinds of wildlife. It was just a great way to spend the morning. And then probably a week later, I went out with another woman, Liz, that I work with, and we went on a friend's property. And so part of the issue for me is that I, you know, I do have limited time, and so I wanted to go someplace kind of close to my house where I live. So mm -hmm. we have a mutual coworker that suggested his property would be a good place, and so we went and he would set up a blind for his daughter, actually. So we went and, and used his blind and... And stop me if you want me to, like, stop talking and, like, jump in with questions, because I am a chatterer. Yeah, keep uh, going. This is what I want to okay. know. I love the story part. <laughs> so Liz and I met at, like, I don't know, 4, 15 or something in the morning and drove over to John's and we had just a quick walk up to the to the blind. And within minutes of being in the blind, we could hear turkey calling and off in the distance. And Liz is, and she had told me, like, she gave me some rules ahead of time and first of all was but if the if the turkeys stand out don't shoot because very often that when they're fanned out like that the shot won't penetrate so wait till he you know tucks his feathers back down so i kind of knew that and had my gun all ready and sort of in position inside the blind and we heard the turkey calling and he'd be quiet and then he'd call and liz was liz is a great caller so she was calling and and then we saw a female in the field in front of us, and it was like, oh, 
shoot, if he sees that female, he might not come to us. If mm-hmm. he has an actual, you know, bird that he's kind of interacting with, he, yeah. we might not get him um, to come to out? us. Yeah, 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 we did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I should have said that. Sorry, we had like three, three or four decoys out. So, at any rate, we were calling, and and I'm like, oh, he's coming, he's getting closer. And Liz was like, I'm not sure. And I'm like, no, he's definitely getting closer. And and so she kept calling, and he was calling, and and I'm like, he's coming though. He and he came up from like behind us, and we couldn't see behind through the back of the blinds with mm-hmm. a little flap up. And I'm like, Liz, he's so close. He's you know, and I'm whispering, of course, because. You know, we don't want to make noise, and I'm I'm like so excited, and she's like, okay, get get ready, so I'll get my gun ready, and 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 she's sort of sitting sideways in the blind, and so she can still call, and and I'm waiting, and and the the Tom comes in, and he's so close, but he's all fanned out, he's puffed up, and you can hear him like when they uh, sort of like flap their wings and like you know, and mm-hmm. um, you can hear him, and he's so close, you can like feel the vibrations, and. And she's like, you know, go ahead, shoot. And I'm like, but he was all fanned out. And I'm like, no, he's all fanned out. <laughs> she's like, but he's like, well, he's only like 10 feet away. I mean, he's like so close, we could have practically reached out and grabbed him. And she's like, no, go ahead, shoot. And I'm like, no, he's all fanned out. And I, the, one of the first things I said to her, which she, afterwards, she still made fun of me, because I'm like, oh, he's so cute. He's all fanned out. Look at him, you know. And uh-huh. she thought to herself, oh, no, he's so cute. She's not going to shoot it. And um, so then she's like, oh, he's close enough. Go ahead and shoot. So I shot and dropped him. And then I was so excited. I mean, I jumped up and, you know, got my safety on. I started crying. I'm hugging Liz and she's crying. And we're both like, I mean, I was shaking. I was so excited. And yeah, so it was a great, great morning. And I guess the part that was, there was like two parts that were pretty awesome for me and powerful. And one was just being able to, you know, like cook that turkey and eat food that I got myself. Yeah. I have a pretty extensive vegetable garden, so, you know, I, I like knowing what goes into the food I eat, and so I, I was really happy to be able to get myself that with those multiple meals. And then also I just was, like, so bonded to Liz. It was like I didn't really expect that. It was just I, I guess I had not thought about it, but... I'd always heard these stories about how bonding, you know, hunting right. is. And I just always thought it was kind of like, oh, you go for a walk with people and you chit chat and you connect or whatever. But I did not realize like how actual the, the, the process of like harvesting that bird kind of with her just totally bonded, bonded me to her. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it really is. It, yeah. If yeah. you ever see, want to see something funny and strange, you should see me hunting with one of my buddies, one of my male yeah. friends, and we kill a turkey, and I, you know, I'll either he kills or I kill, or we both kill, and I jump up and give him a big hug out in the middle of the woods. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, it's so awesome. It's it really kind of weird, you know. Yeah. I'm sure somebody yeah. Yeah. watching from far away would be like, "What in the world? <laughs> what is they doing?" <laughs> no, it was it was such a wonderful experience, and. And then we went back and took a lot of pictures, and John and his wife and his little daughter came out and all examined my bird, and we went and tagged it, and, you know, I was I was pretty pleased with myself, I will say. Yeah. <laughs> Texted everybody pictures of all my friends and people I work with, and I was, you know, I was going to text people, and I'm like, I looked at Liz, I'm like, wait a minute, it's not even 6 o'clock in the morning, I can't text people yet. <laughs> he was like, they're all biologists, they should be up by now, go ahead That's and text right. them. 
That's right. Yeah, you're not going to disturb yeah. them. And even if you do, no. they'll, be, they'll be excited for you. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, given your educational background and your professional career of being a biologist and, and coming through the ranks that way, you've been around hunting or exposed to mm-hmm. it in that light for mm-hmm. yeah. quite a long time. Yeah. I mean, even through school, uh-huh. I would imagine, but you've never... Mm-hmm. You never hunted, so what uh, was it? Just your conversation with the doctors with about your health well, that got you interested in it. What what really? So it was kind of a combination of things, and and one is like I always totally supported hunting, and right. and for me as a wildlife biologist, this is just such an essential management tool, right? So I I fully supported it. I just didn't know how to do it. And there's so many things that I do know how to do that I just never made time. And honestly, as a biologist in, especially working in the, in the regional office, you, you get, you can, I could get venison mm-hmm. easily without having to harvest the animal myself because right. there's a lot of animals that roadkill or whatever else, the game wardens have to dispatch an animal. So I had access to game meat so that the, there wasn't the urgency for me to procure it myself because... I could, I generally got some every year. So for me, the difference was really, it was kind of a combination of, and in the past in my profession, I, during my work time, spent a lot of time outside anyway. And so now when I sort of switched jobs and became commissioner, and now, surprisingly, I don't have access to that game meat anymore. (laughs) As commissioner, I don't don't get it anymore now that I'm not in the regional office. So it was kind of a combination of that and knowing that I needed to just make time to do those things outside that I that I wanted to do. So it was kind of a combination of my new job and and then I did I I read a couple articles about climate change and the you know some of the things that people can do uh, as individuals to minimize their footprint. And the number one thing on all the articles I read was, you know, procure your food locally. So don't have food shipped all across the country to, to buy, you know, fresh whatever yeah. year round and get you to source your, source your meat locally and stop supporting farm, you know, beef that are being raised down in South America where they're deforesting, you know, mountains to grow cattle that's inexpensive right so stop stop supporting that industry and, and honestly that's why i was a vegetarian for so long was that i mean and I, I know there are lots of very you know supportive and organic and healthy farms where animals are treated very well but i also know that there's there's a lot that aren't so right. for me it was more than anything i just didn't want to be i didn't want to participate or take the risk that i would be supporting farms that were just sort of the factory farm and here in the northeast it's not really as much of an issue but i don't know that the meat i get at hannaford is from the northeast or from our local grocery store you know i have no idea where it comes from and so for me it was just i didn't i didn't want to be associated with what i thought was just not not humane treatment of animals and it's sort of contradictory because i personally view hunting as like the most humane way to treat an animal so I know a lot of people on the other side of the fence don't see it that way, but I do. Yeah. And so I just wanted, so, you know, so I was vegetarian for a lot of, it's mostly around animal rights reasons, to be honest. And 
so when I decided that I needed to start eating more meat, I made the conscious decision that I wanted to eat either, you know, animals that I harvested myself or get a friend that every year grows a pig for me. And so, you know, I try to get my meat from local sources. So it was a kind of a combination of things of my new job and just making a little more time and read a few kind of articles about climate change and decided, you know what, you need to, you need to like act on this and go turkey hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Plus it's so exciting. I mean, and you, you know, it's like of all, I mean, I, I just think it, there's so much interaction between you and the animal and it, it's just, I just thought it was so great. Yeah. So it was it, a great way to start. Definitely. Yeah, it, it is. There's nothing about it that I don't like. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Compared to deer hunting where I'm sitting out in a tree stand mm-hmm. for hours at a time just. Right, right. You know, left alone in my own head. That's pretty scary. Right. yeah yeah. i I have some something even if i'm by myself i have something in the woods to interact with yeah yeah it's a whole different aspect so yeah yeah so um my next question i was going to ask you was your reasons for choosing the vegetarian lifestyle and you you answered that but Mm. you so you didn't grow up in a vegetarian household. It was something- all right, that's all I've got for you guys for the free portion of this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you would like to hear the rest of the interview with Judy Camuso, then you will need to become a subscriber to the premium content of the Turkey Hunter podcast. And in order to become a subscriber, what you need to do is text the word Turkey Hunter. Make that one word and text it to the number Four four two two two. Once you do that, you're just going to need to follow some simple directions, and I will eventually email you a link that you can click on to create your username and password on the Podbean application and pay your $18 per year annual subscription fee to become a premium content subscriber. Your premium subscription will get you not only the rest of this week's episode, but it will get you premium content for all of our past episodes, as well as the premium content for the next 52 weeks. There's a bunch of content that's locked up in the premium subscription that you'll have access to for 18 bucks for an entire year, and I really don't think you'll be disappointed with your investment. Okay, I hope that you enjoyed the interview with Judy half as much as I enjoyed interviewing her. It was a lot of fun and very insightful as well. Hey, a couple of takeaways for me from my conversation with her is her comment about hunters a lot of times not being very welcoming to new hunters. But after thinking about what she said and looking back at quite a few occurrences over the years, she's right. I can remember multiple times being at deer camp and a new hunter comes in to camp, joins the club that I'm hunting in, and people are quick to talk about him or her behind that person's back saying they don't know what they're doing. You know, they're always messing something up. They walked in on them because they didn't know one food plot over another. And eventually what ends up happening is those of us who are avid hunters will turn our backs on the new hunters because they don't know what they're talking about and they don't know what they're doing. So I can totally see what she's saying 
being true. And going forward, that's something I'm going to try to make a conscious effort not to do. And I'm going to put forth an effort to try to teach those new hunters a little bit more that may help them be better at the sport. Best case, but worst case, teach them a few things that will help them to not tick off the other members of the hunting club or the other members of their hunting party. A second thing that I thought was interesting, and again, it makes perfectly good sense, is how important it was for Judy to have a woman as a mentor to teach her how to hunt. And I think that's extremely important. And Judy's right again. You know, we guys do have a different way of teaching. We have a different way of learning than women. And, you know, I can look at my own relationship at home and tell you honestly that I'm not the most patient person in the world when it comes to teaching my wife something that she doesn't know about but wants to know about, whether that's something in the yard or something around the house or whatever that may be that she's trying to learn how to do, I'm not always very patient. And so if we're not being patient with new hunters in the woods to try to teach them things, then it's going to be hard to keep them interested in the sport. But circling back around to this woman hunter wanting a woman mentor, you ladies who are listening to the show, this is a perfect opportunity and a perfect reason why we need you to sign up to be mentors, whether that's through the NWTF or that's through your state game and fish department, whatever it happens to be. Take the time, take an opportunity to take another woman out hunting. You know how much you enjoy it, so share it with someone else. Hey, my favor of the week is the same as it was last week. We have these awesome hunting seasons approaching very quickly with dove season, upland bird hunting, squirrel season. All of these very fun hunting opportunities are coming very quickly. So make time to take someone out hunting who has never been and take Judy's advice and be patient with that person. Make the trip about that person enjoying the day and enjoying the sport instead of that person harvesting an animal because the harvesting of the animal as we all know is just icing on the cake if i had gone fishing and spent four or five hours on the water with my dad this past sunday morning and we did not catch a fish it still would have been an awesome morning for me pulling 30 fish in the boat was just icing on the cake so that's the favor again this week just like it was last week invite someone to go hunting and put it on your calendar. Make it happen. I'm going to do it this year, and I hope that you guys will as well. So that's it. That's all that I've got for you guys today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. 
to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.